0: G'day, welcome to Age Abuse and Justice, where each episode I summarise an elder abuse case to demonstrate what elder abuse looks like and how the law deals with it. Age Abuse and Justice started as short videos published on YouTube. I did 15 cases in video format, but it took much longer to record and edit, so gradually I eased out of videos to focus on the podcast. It also allowed me to do cases in more detail. I'm now adding the audio from those video recordings to be available on the podcast channel as well. Please excuse the bad audio, these are made from when I was first learning how to use this equipment so it gets pretty dicey. So this is one of those video recordings. The videos are still available on YouTube if you'd like to check them out. You can search for Age Abuse and Justice or you could look on the New South Wales Legal Aid podcast channel. But I'll also include the links for this case in the notes below. So on to the case. I'm going to take you all the way back to 1914 with this elder abuse case. The parties in this matter are Charles Fong the father and Charles Fong the son. So I'm going to refer to them as the father and son to avoid confusion. In 1913, the father owned some property and the son was rent- renting it off him and using it as a hotel. The time had come for the lease to be renewed and the solicitor was instructed to prepare a new lease, an appointment was made for the son and father to sign it. The appointment was for Monday, the 15th of September. The night before the appointment, Mrs Spong, the father's wife and the son's mother died. On the morning of the appointment, the son was driving along when he saw his 77 year old father walking along the side of the road. He picked his father up and they drove back to the hotel where they had a conversation. What was said in that conversation is not certain. So the son has his accounts of what happened during that conversation. But by the time it got to court, the father had no recollection at all of what happened that day. So his evidence wasn't available. What is known was that the son phoned the solicitor and said to him, my dad doesn't want to lease me the land anymore. He wants to transfer it to me. And he instructed the solicitor to prepare the transfer. Straight after that, they drove to the bank where they got the title deeds to the property. While they were at the bank, the son was also authorised to access all of his father's accounts and basically deal with his father's money. And then after that, they drove to the solicitor and they both signed the transfer. So now, on the very day after his wife has died, this man has transferred his property and control of his bank accounts over to his son. The case doesn't set out how it came to court, but I'm believing the father or someone acting on the father's behalf must have initiated court proceedings. And when it went to court, there was medical evidence. And the medical advisor basically said that the father was suffering from what he called senile decay, and he said that the condition would have been advanced at the time of doing the transfer. The court decided that at the time of doing the transfer, the father did not have Capacity, Um, he didn't even have capacity to do any business transactions, let alone transfer all of his property to his son. The son wasn't happy with that decision, so he appealed it to the High Court of Australia. The High Court described the conditions in which the transfer was signed as hurriedly, secretly, and on the day when the husband's wife was not even 12 hours dead. The court stated that the son, knowing of his father's condition, had an obligation not to let him sign it without first getting independent legal advice. And it even challenged that the son wouldn't have let his father sign that transfer if his father had been transferring the property to someone else, so his sister for example. The High Court upheld the lower court's decision and said that the father didn't have capacity to enter into the transfer and the property was to be returned to the father. What was interesting in this case is the son's defence. So the son's argument was that he suspected that his sister and her husband, who the father was living with at the time, were taking financial advantage of the father. And he said that he was doing this to protect his father's interests, basically. And it's an interesting argument because we've seen it way back then in 1914 and we see it today. It's a common argument where, which boils down to, I took all of their properties so someone else couldn't. It's interesting to consider whether the son really did have his father's best interest at heart. It's hard in these cases um, to believe that when you think that by this stage that it's got to court, the child would have been asked to transfer the property back, that there would have been negotiations trying to get the property back in the father's hands. So to argue that they were only doing it for the father's best interest is hard to believe now that it's in court and you've got solicitors involved. It it doesn't really give much weight to that argument, uh, but still it's something that needs to be given consideration. So I think this case goes to show that elder abuse is something that has been with us for decades. It's all the way back to 1914. We were seeing it and we're still seeing it today. And the way it happens, this transfer of property is also quite common. So maybe something we need to be looking at is why it can still happen. Is there something the law should be doing to prevent it? Is it something we should be doing? I think it's worth looking into. So that was my case for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you'll join me for the next one.